This is episode number 270, Working on Your Game with Dre Baldwin. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. The first thing I tell people is discipline builds confidence. And one of the best ways to start building your confidence, even when it's just you by yourself, is to have the discipline of showing up every day and just doing work, whatever that work is, whether it's practicing basketball, whether it's writing, if you want to be a writer, uh, getting on a microphone, you want to be a podcaster, or working on your communication, you want to be a speaker. It's just doing work every day gives you the confidence that you know you can do the thing. And then when it comes to the actual performance, the more experience you get under your belt doing the performance, the better you get at applying the practice skills to the live game or performance or live situation, whatever it happens to be. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast and for coming back every single week. If you haven't hit that subscribe button so you don't miss future episodes, make sure that you go ahead and do that. And huge thanks to those of you who have left us reviews on your favorite podcast player that helps so much for other people to find the show. If you're curious and would like to take a peek, we recently relaunched my new website. It has an all new design and we spent eight months working on it. I'm super proud of it and I hope that it makes everything a lot easier to find. There's a lot of exciting things coming up for me. I am speaking at the Planted Expo in Vancouver next month on November 20th. It's a plant-based expo, and there are so many amazing speakers. You can check it out at plantedlife.com. Today's episode is something very near and dear to my heart. It's all about working on your mental game. And today's guest is Dre Baldwin. Dre Baldwin went from playing NCAA D3 basketball to a nine-year basketball professional career. His path to the highest level of sport required a level of discipline and toughness that drove him to build his own work on your game brand to share those tenets with a wider audience. He is now a full-time entrepreneur who has authored 29 books and participated in TEDx talks about discipline, confidence, mental toughness, and personal initiative. Does that sound familiar? He's active on YouTube and has a daily work on your game podcast. Today, we sit down and have an awesome conversation about how to go from thinking into action because many of us think, well, I should do that, but we never actually take action on our dreams. We also talked about self-belief, on building confidence, on choosing yourself, and more. And I know that if you're a longtime listener of this podcast, all of those topics are familiar. And I think it's so important to constantly be feeding your brain with things that help you be better every day. And that's why we have this podcast That's why I write my weekly newsletter at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter, because you can never hear these messages enough. Even just hearing the same thing said a little bit differently by two people can help you remember and just help with that motivation and that commitment. There's a lot of challenges that come up whenever we're pushing ourselves towards our dreams and showing up and being brave enough to get started is just step one. But there's also comparison. There's also sticking with it. There's also knowing when to quit. There's just so many different elements whenever you're pushing yourself. But learning to know yourself a little bit better and having some of these mental skills and frameworks can really help whenever you're trying to unlock your potential. That's the biggest thing that I work on with my health coaching clients is helping them unlock their potential by digging into their deeper values and desires and figuring out what barriers are in their way. I think you'll really enjoy this podcast and I'm really excited for you to listen to it. And speaking of unlocking your potential, 
Drinking non-alcoholic beverages can help you do that. As we know, a little bit of alcohol can be enjoyable from time to time, but it dramatically impacts your heart rate variability. It impacts your performance. I'm actually working on a blog post all about how alcohol affects your athletic ability and recovery. So stay tuned. Make sure you're subscribed to my newsletter at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter so you don't miss that. But Groovy is one of many amazing non-alcoholic options. And it's one that I found... It was a habit that I kept during my first pregnancy. I kept drinking non-alcoholic beer and beverages postpartum and I'm pregnant again. So I am currently drinking these things, but I was drinking them in between too. And what I like about Groovy is that they have a lot of different options that are really tasty. They have their stout, which is the one that I'm reaching for the most right now. They have an IPA, they have a sour Weiss. They have a lot of different ones that I'm not even covering. And they also have wines and Non-alcoholic wine is a really slippery slope. Sometimes it just is too sweet and it, it tastes like sparkling juice. But Groovy has a no secco, which is a prosecco, and a sparkling rosé that have that aftertaste that reminds you of drinking an alcoholic beverage without the health implications. So go to getgroovy.com, check out all of the amazing options that they have there, and they have a lot of fun things going on on their social media account as well. You can find them on Instagram at getgroovy as well. And just a quick little reminder to check out the Moxie and Grit Mindset Academy. You can find it at sonyalooney.com or at moxieandgrit.com. It's all the mental skills that I've used over the years to become a world champion and to win races around the world. And not only do those mental skills help you in your performance, but they help you in your daily life. Things like breath work, things like dealing with setbacks, things like confidence, and even how to have the right mindset around setting goals so that you can stay motivated and that once you achieve that goal, you don't feel empty. So go to sonyalooney.com or moxieandgrit.com to check out the Mindset Academy if you haven't already. All right, let's get into it with Dre. Dre, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me, Sonia. I'm excited to be here. There are quite a few parallels between the two of us as I was doing research into you. You are a self-proclaimed nerd before it was cool to be a nerd on your website, and I am too. Um, you said you've been vegan since 2014, and I changed my diet in 2013. And we both have built a business alongside professional athletics, so lots of fun parallels. Yes, yeah, so you seem like you beat me to each one of them, so you're a little bit ahead <laughs> of me on each one, but that's correct. I guess, as a matter of fact, Sonia, this weekend I was at a conference and I was talking to this guy and he explained to me that I guess what I do is plant-based, not vegan, because I do eat meat every now and then. So I guess I'm more plant-based. Mm -hmm. I just learned that. Plant-based. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The labels are, the labels are so funny and it's, yeah, it's just labels are weird. But yeah. anyway, I just wanted to, I wanted to ask you, so your hat says work on your game. That's sort of the name, of, uh, that's the name of your business right? Um, or like the tagline of your business. So where did that name come from? Man, that came from a video I was doing in 2009. I had just come back from playing overseas. I was in, I had been in Germany. I was back in Miami and I was at a 24 hour fitness gym at the time. And now at this point I had just started to build my brand. Well, I had started to pay attention to my brand online. I've been putting out videos for almost five years, but now we were starting to use this phrase called personal branding. You could actually be somebody just by putting stuff on the internet for free. This wasn't a thing. And I started to have a little audience and they were mostly basketball players. And they would always ask me questions about how do I get better at basketball? Give me some tips, some advice, some help. And I was in the gym working on my game, my game. 
and I had my camera with me as I always did. And I was just thinking about all the questions I was getting in the, the comments on these videos. And I'm like, these players keep asking the same questions. And then when I was done my workout, I just was thinking about it and I just made this video spur the moment. It was only two minutes. And I said in the video, listen, all you players are asking me for help and tips and advice, but look where I'm at. I'm in the gym. I just finished the workout and look where you're at. You're on the computer watching YouTube videos. So what you need to do is you need to turn off this video, stop watching it, get off the Xbox, stop standing on the corner outside and go work on your game. And I put some colorful language in there in between those words. But <laughs> when I said that, you know, people caught on to that phrase and people started saying it back and people were saying in the comments, like, work on your game. Like that's, it was like perfect. People loved that phrase. And I wasn't even trying to coin a cat's phrase or anything. I was just talking. But when I said that, people loved it so much that I started that it, was, it took me about a year, maybe a year and a half to catch on. Like, wait a minute, I could build everything around that because the great thing around about the phrase is, is not limited to sports. It's work on your game. You know, there's a game in anything that you do. So that's where it came from. Yeah. And I like the term work because a lot of people, um, and I've been in this boat myself, it's like, we think about our game. We're thinking about the things we want to do or the person we want to be, mm -hmm. but we never actually put it into action. So like, right. you don't say think, think on your game you say work right. on your game. So <laughs> for someone listening who is like, yeah, like I've, I've read tons of books about a certain subject or I've, you know, I've thought about something a ton, but they actually haven't put that those thoughts into action. How can you get over that barrier of putting your thoughts into action and turn it into work? Oh, get up off. The first thing is get up off your butt, get off the computer. Then just like I told those basketball <laughs> players back in the day is the first thing is moving yourself to action. That's the biggest thing for moving yourself to action is figuring out what you want and why you want it. Those are the most important things that what stops a lot of people from getting to their outcomes and but stops a lot of people from getting to what they want to get to is they start thinking about how they're going to do it. Like, how am I going to do this? Or they look at somebody like you, Sonia, and they say, man, she has this business and she's doing all these things. and She's got 20 years in the game. How am I going to catch up to that? You know, I'm at zero right now. I'm at I'm starting from day one. How am I going to catch up to where she's at? Or they look at me and say, well, he's written these books and he has this content and he has this brand. How am I going to get to where that person's at? And that person started 10 years before you. And because you're looking all the way up at this person who's so far ahead of you, you're like, well, I'll never catch up to that. But you're not focusing on what you can do right now. So what I tell people is a simple process. First of all, figure out what's the outcome that you want, whatever it may be. It'll, you'll probably end up getting something completely different from that because things change over time. But then just work backwards. What would need to be true for that to happen? All right, for you to get Sonya's business, what would need to be true? Then work backwards. For that to happen, what would need to be true? For that to happen, what would need to be true? Keep asking yourself that question and work backwards until you get to an action step that you can take today. And if you write all these down, what you're actually going to have in reverse order is you're going to have your strategy. Now, of course, as I said, it's not going to work out exactly like that. We all know that you know plans are useless, but planning is priceless. So this is why you're going to plan out how you can do it, the strategy, and then along the way, you make your adjustments. But you need to have somewhere that you can start and you also have, have to have a map. Give yourself a roadmap and a direction to go on. And again, when you run into other people who have already done it, you join uh, Sonya's program, you buy Dre's book, whatever it's going to be. You can get the information from people who have already taken that path and then just you know, trim up and sharpen up your own system, your own strategy. Yeah, I think a lot of people get hung up on setting the path, but then feeling like they're that's carved in stone for them and then getting discouraged if it doesn't look exactly how it was planned out. Mm -hmm. um, or even, you know, you talked about looking at somebody that inspires you or that you want to be like and then trying to take on the behaviors of that person or what you think they would do. 
But the comparison part of saying, well, I want to be like that person can be discouraging for people because they are comparing their start to somebody else's middle. So like, what are your, what are your thoughts or advice on being inspired by people by comparing yourself, but not letting that discourage you by comparing yourself? Yeah, it's a very fine line between the two because (laughs) it really just depends on your state. It depends on your internal state and how you're seeing yourself in no comparison, if you want to call it that, to that other person. When what I've found is that when a person is in momentum and they're getting the kind of results that they want and things are working for them, they can look at what somebody else is doing, even if that person is 10 levels ahead of them and be fine with it because you have your own things going on. But when you don't have anything going on and nothing's working and everything you're trying is failing and falling flat, and then you see other people Everything you're doing seems to be working. I mean, of course, on social media, we're all superstars with no flaws, right? So when you see everybody else's stories and it looks like everybody else has everything going and you don't have anything working out, that's when we kind of get into that uh, compare and despair mentality. So what I tell people is really, first of all, just look in the mirror and see what kind of person you are. Are you the type of person who, when you look at everybody else and you see them doing their things, does that discourage you? Does it slow you now? Does it make you start to beat yourself up? If so, why don't you just you know, play to your strengths, help yourself out and stop looking at their stories. All right? You don't have to follow a thousand people on social media. You don't have to read into what everybody else is doing or what they want you to think that they're doing. You don't have to do that. You can just tune that out and stop paying attention to it. But if you're the type of person who can look at it and you know, somebody like myself, I like to look at what other people are doing not to compare myself, but I'll, I'll steal something every here and there. I see something that's useful, let me steal that from that person. I might use that one little element, not everything they're doing. This is one little element. This might work for me. So if you're that type of person, then use it. But if you're not that type of person, then just stop paying attention to it. And one of the biggest things, Sonia, that I tell my audience all the time, one of my number one hack for focus and energy and attention, you want to know what it is? Let's hear it. Is stop paying attention to what everybody else is doing is pay a lot less attention to everybody else's business. The the thing that social media does is allows all of us to not only share our business with the world, but to be in everybody else's business. And it's designed to suck your time away. So you don't have to engage. You don't have to look at what everybody else is doing. When I get on social media, I don't scroll down my Instagram timeline. I open it. I see the notifications. I look at what's going on in my world. I check my DMs. I post to my story, but I don't scroll up and down. So Anybody, if I'm ever following you on Instagram, I never like any of your posts. It's not because I don't like you. It's just because I'm not, I'm not scrolling, so I don't even know that you posted. So I pay very little attention to what everybody else is doing. The only time I pay attention to other people's stuff is if I can use some of it for my own purposes. So sometimes to be successful, you got to be selfish. Yeah, and it's like setting a boundary, looking to others for inspiration instead of validation. But exactly. it can very quickly and easily turn into validation because your insecurities and I'm not saying your, my insecurities or the listeners' insecurities will pop up whenever you start seeing repeatedly things that people have that you don't have or that you've tried to get and failed at getting. Mm-hmm. But like you said, coming back into your daily actions, those are what who what define your character and what define um, the direction that you're going. 100%. And you know, everybody has insecurities. Some people have more than others, but everybody has them. So it's like you just got off a, a prospect call with a coaching client and they turned it down and then you open your feed and you see somebody say, hey, I just signed three coaching clients. And you're like, damn, what's wrong with me? You know, so that's how you got to just make sure you're managing your attention, managing your energy and your focus. 
So you've had some interesting pivots in your career and a lot of self-belief. Can you kind of tell the story of you know, how you became a pro basketball player, how you became an entrepreneur, and how you navigated that and had that vision for yourself? Wow. I'm like, I could write a whole book answering that question, but I'll, I'll try to condense it. So. <laughs> book number, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, well, first I, of all, how many books have you written? <laughs> Just let the audience know uh, here. 29, it's a lot. 29 books. <laughs> yeah, so the pro basketball. So I, I went to a Division three college, which is the third tier of college sports for most of your audience probably knows that you know, D3 schools do not populate the pros. So, so D3 is not the feeder system for pro athletes. That's usually Division One schools. So when I graduated from college, I had this idea that I could be a pro athlete, but I didn't have any prospects. There were no job offers. There was no nobody was beating down my door. So my first year out of college, I worked as an assistant manager at Foot Locker. I sold gym memberships at Valley Total Fitness. Uh, they're out of business now, hopefully not because of me. I think I did pretty well for them. I made them a lot of money. But uh, I went to this exposure camp in the summer, the year after graduating from college. So we're talking 2005 here to give people a timeline. And exposure camp, for those who don't know, it's like a job fair, but for athletes. And you don't just show up with a resume and shake hands. You actually bring your sneakers and you play basketball in front of an audience of decision makers. And your job in front of that audience is to prove that you're good enough to play pro ball because the people in that crowd, they come to that event looking for talent. They look for the, they're looking for the next person they can hire. And everybody there is trying to prove themselves. So it's very, it's like a meat market. It's like a casting call, you know, everybody trying to get a job. So I played pretty well at this exposure camp. And by the way, those camps are not free. You pay for the opportunity to get seen. And it was in Orlando, Florida. I'm from Philadelphia. So I drove from Philly to Orlando with a couple of college teammates. That's a 19 hour drive. And we hopped out the car Saturday morning, 9 a.m. and walked right in there and start playing. Now, I could do that at age 23. I couldn't do it now, but I got away with it then. And I played pretty well at that two-day exposure camp. And through that camp, I got a scouting report and footage of my performance. And I took that and I started cold calling basketball agents. So I just went on Google and looked up basketball agents because I figured they were the, the go-between between the job opportunities overseas and the players, people like me who had the talent, but I didn't know anybody overseas. So I started cold calling agents. I was able to sell myself to one agent. I reached out to about 60. I sent footage to about 20 and I got one of them to respond. He signed me and he represented me. He got me my first contract overseas. So that's how my career started. And what was the other two questions you asked me there? I think it was the two or three parts. Uh, well, uh, this will be kind of tying into those questions. Yeah. Uh, it was about the vision and self-belief part because to go do an exposure camp to say, okay, I have two days and I have to show them everything that I have. I have to invest in myself and pay the money to go. Mm -hmm. Like most people would be too afraid to show up. And when they did show up, maybe they would choke because they put so much pressure on them. So how did you have that level of self-belief and how did you not choke at the exposure camp? Man, that's a great question. A couple answers to that. And nobody's ever actually asked me that. I've told the story many times. Nobody ever asked that question right there. So leading up to the exposure camp before that, when I was in college, the coach who recruited me to the college that I graduated from, he got fired after my sophomore year. So a new coach came in during my junior year. And anyone who's ever played college sports knows that when coaching changes happen in a college sporting program, a lot of the times some players become casualties of that changeover because the coach kind of just wants to bring in their maybe some of their own people. They bring in a new regime. Maybe they want to clear out anybody who might be might have loyalties to the previous coach or they think they do. So I became a casualty of that coaching changeover. So I didn't even play on the team my senior year of college. I was in college, eligible, everything. 
And some of my friends were on the team, but I was not on the basketball team. So I, first of all, just the competitive competitor in me kicked in and I wanted to prove for posterity's sake that I was better than the players who were still on the basketball team. And the only way I could prove that, and I didn't have any more college years, is I was going to have to make the pros and prove it in the pros. So no pro was higher than college. So I could prove that I did it. That was one thing that was pushing me. Another thing was when I got home from college after graduation and I told my parents, well, my next step, I'm going to be a pro basketball player. But at this time, I have no prospects, no job offers, no plan, no nothing. And my parents asked me, well, how are you going to do it? And I didn't have any answers to their questions. They were like, well, it just it just doesn't make sense. It's not like they were saying, no, you can't or don't. They couldn't stop me, but it didn't make sense. They were just holding the mirror up to my situation saying it didn't make any sense. So I wasn't kind of mad at them, but I was mad at the situation. The situation was the reality was there was nothing in my reality to said I was going to make it as a pro basketball player. So I had that, as I told you a few minutes ago, when you really want to achieve a goal, the two things you got to answer are what do you want and why do you want it? Not how are you going to do it? The how, I had no answer to the question. All right, how are you going to become a pro basketball? I had no idea. I did not know. I didn't know what to do, where to go, but I knew what I wanted and why I wanted it. So that was the main thing driving me. So coming to your question about the exposure camp, that whole year after college, when I graduated before the camp, I'm working at, mind you, I'm working at Foot Locker. I'm working at Valley Total Fitness with a college degree and I have all this talent and I believe I'm good enough to play pro basketball, but I'm in the mall selling, you know, putting sneakers on five-year-olds at Kids Foot Locker. You know, so looking at my situation, it's like I'm thinking to myself, anyone in the outs from the outside looking in is like, okay, it's basketball's over for Dre. It's pretty much over. And I didn't want that to be the reality. So that was more fuel towards the why. Why do you actually want this outcome? So I just kept my eyes peeled that whole year. I would just Google and look up exposure events because I knew about exposure camps, the concept of them. I knew that's the place I would need to go so I could show my skills because Coming from a Division three school, even if I had played and had great stats, who was I playing against? I was playing against Division three players who probably were not professional prospects. So I needed to show myself playing against guys who were pro-level was proof that I was pro-level. So I needed to go to an exposure camp one way or another, no matter what had happened in college. So when I saw that camp, I figured I saw how much money it was. It was like 250 bucks, which at the time, you know, you're a broke college graduate, $250 was a lot of money. And you no know, drive to Orlando and a hotel and food. So, you know, this is a little bit of a, in, in a expense for me. So I saved up the money, got ready to go to that camp. And I knew I had two days. This was make or break because I couldn't go to every exposure camp that existed. I couldn't afford to. So I remember to answer to uh, put a bow on the answer to this question. The first game at the exposure camp. I remember I didn't start the game. I came off the bench in the game and I had been on the court for maybe two minutes and a, a timeout had gotten called. During the first two minutes on the court, Sonia, I was playing very like passively. My normal habit in playing basketball, most of the time, is I try to like warm myself up into the game. So as the game starts, I'm passing the ball around. I'm not really trying to do much. I'm just trying to get into the flow of the game. Then I'll start doing my thing. So the first two minutes, I didn't really do anything. I touched the ball a few times, but I, didn't, I wasn't being aggressive. And the timeout got called. And while we're standing in the timeout huddle, I reminded myself, like, hey, um, you don't have time to get into the flow. Uh, you have two days. Uh, you either do something during these games or you're going back home and this, this might be it. Uh, this might be your only chance. So I decided right there during that time out, the coach was talking. I wasn't even listening. I decided right, next time I get the ball, I'm going to do something. I don't know what, but I'm going to do something. So again, what and why? So the next time I got the ball, I just made a really aggressive move towards the basket and I 
I scored, almost dunked on this guy in the crowd. There was like a gas from the crowd. The crowd was like, whoa. So that kind of gave me more confidence and it got me going. Like you get a positive, some positive momentum. So then I started playing more aggressively and I played really well. It was only, again, we played two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday. I did pretty well during those four games. And that's really, uh, those two days are the reason why we're having this conversation right now. So that's how it happened. Yeah, so you decided that, okay, like I, I have to go for it and it takes a lot of courage to go for it, especially when there's everybody watching in that, in mm-hmm. that scenario and you gain confidence because your approach actually worked. But what do you think would have happened if you're like, okay, I'm going to go for it and then you got blocked or you started missing shots and you started going down that rabbit hole? Because I'm sure that's happened in, in your career. Yes, that has happened. There have been situations where that happened. The thing is, that's the only situation in my life where it was like, make or break everything. So that was the crux. So I did good enough in that one moment. But let's say I had tried to score and I got my shot blocked or I tried to dunk and I missed it or something like that. I still, I probably still would have tried it again simply because I was being aggressive. And the thing about playing Mm -hmm. sports, especially a sport like basketball, even the best player makes half of the shots, right? Steph Curry only makes half of their shots. It's Mm -hmm. how, even when you miss or you mess up, how did you mess up? Did you mess up because you made an error of commission, meaning you were going for it and you just missed? Or you made an error of omission, meaning you're just standing around doing nothing and letting the game pass you by. So as long as I was being aggressive, that's what I told. I didn't say I'm going to score the next time I get the ball. I said I'm going to do something with the ball the next time that I get it. So it was the aggression that really got the momentum going for me. So had I missed that shot or got my shot blocked or had I slipped and fell, I still would have tried it again the next time, Sonia, simply because... I was putting myself in the aggressive go for it mindset. And that applies off the court just as well as it applies on the court. Yeah. So you're playing to win instead of playing not to lose Absolutely. and coming from it to say like, hey, like I might miss, but I'm playing to win. And if I'm going to be here at this exposure camp playing not to lose, I'm not going to go anywhere. That's right. And I had to go out there and yeah. be aggressive. And I paid to be on that court. So I'll do whatever I want. <laughs> you know? How did you know that, you know, like, cause you said you played D3 and then I heard you say on another podcast, like you played intramurals and you, you won intramurals, but like, how did you know that you're going to show up to this, uh, exposure camp and know that you were going to be able to play at that level? Cause you hadn't like, well, maybe you had, but I'm assuming that you hadn't played with other pros before. So how did you know that you had that skill level? Well, in college, being I was at a division three school, the good thing was the place I was playing at, I was in Altoona, Pennsylvania and around there, there were a bunch of other colleges. So you had. So I was at the D3 campus of Penn State University. We have 23 campuses in the state. So we were only 40 minutes away from the main campus. So we would, me and a couple of my teammates who also had pro aspirations, we would drive up there every weekend and we would play pickup ball with players up there on the main campus. Mm-hmm. And this would be like, not the basketball team at first. It would just be regular guys on campus, but their campus is like 50,000 people. So so many players. So it started to become known like, hey, these guys from this other campus keep coming up here and they're winning games in our gym. So more people kept showing up. Then eventually the girls basketball team would come in there because the girls team at that time was nationally ranked. Then the men's basketball team would come in and they were starting to come in because word got out around. Word got around about us. We didn't even go to the campus, but we were always up there playing. So people, they start coming in like, who are these guys going to come to our campus and be running our gym? So they started coming in there to kind of you know, defend their turf. So we got to know them and we got to play against them. One of my teammates knew some guys at another campus of uh, St. Francis College, which was about 30 minutes away from Altoona. We would play pickup with them. And then the guys in the town that we that our school was in, 
We got to play with those guys. So we got to know all these players from all these different places. And one of my teammates, as a matter of fact, he knew guys who did actually play uh, pro ball overseas and guys who played at higher levels of college. So when I, during spring break, for example, I would go with him because he lived in North Carolina. I would go down with him to his home and stay at his house and we would play pick up with his guys. So I got exposure to playing against players who were a little bit higher level. And my, it's not like I was out there just destroying them, but I would get experience enough to tell myself, like, I do have the confidence and the ability to play with people at this level. So I had an idea that I could do it. And at the same time, Sonia, to answer your question, remember how I was saying, a lot of times we stop ourselves in life because we start thinking about, well, how am I going to do this? When the better question is, what do I want to do and why do I want to do it? Because a lot of times if we try to figure out how, well, if we already knew how to do something, we wouldn't be asking the question. We would just have done it already. Right. So I didn't know how, but I just knew I just needed that opportunity to get on the court and I can show what I can do. Let's just see what happens. Yeah. So I'm hearing that, number one, you surrounded yourself with people who are a little bit better than you so that you could rise to the occasion. Mm -hmm. And number two, you put in the extra effort. Like you could have just stayed in your town and just continued playing in your town, but you put in the extra effort to be searching out, seeking out pickup games where you have a lot of opportunity to play against a lot of different types of players. And that helped build your confidence. Yes. I mean, I, I tried to surround myself with players who were better than me as best I could. You know, it's not like there were so many of them, but when I got my opportunities, I knew like, all right, this is a person I can measure myself against. Yeah. And it's interesting in athletics because a lot of times people are afraid that if they don't play well or they don't measure up, then that's validation that they're not good enough, that they're not talented instead of an opportunity to be better. And I think it's just such an important thing to remember that just because somebody is better than you doesn't mean that that's validation that you're not good enough. It just is an opportunity for you to learn from that person and to get better. And there's always room for improvement in anything that you're doing. Absolutely. As long as you believe you can get there, because I would play against players who were better than me and I would not have as much success. But as long as I felt like there is room for improvement, I can get better. All right. I see this player. They're better than me at this and this. I can actually get better at those two things then I would feel fine. Now, if I felt like I was maxed out and then I was still getting my, my butt kicked, then it might be a problem. But as long as I knew I had room, yes. And it sounds like you've really carried this uh, mindset and these lessons you've learned through basketball into growing your business. Mm -hmm. And you've done four TEDx talks, and I believe one of them is about building confidence. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, so what do you tell people about building confidence? Cause that's such a big thing, like in sports and life, like no matter what you're doing, everybody wants to feel confident. Wow. Well, there's a lot with confidence. So the first thing I tell people is discipline builds confidence. One of the best ways to start building your confidence, even when it's just you by yourself is to have the discipline of showing up every day and just doing work, whatever that work is, whether it's practicing basketball, whether it's writing, if you want to be a writer, uh, getting on a microphone, you want to be a podcaster or working on your communication. You want to be a speaker. It's just doing work every day gives you the confidence that you know you can do the thing. And then when it comes to the actual performance, the more experience you get under your belt doing the performance, the better you get at applying the practice skills to the live game or performance or live situation, whatever it happens to be. And also when it comes to confidence, sometimes in life, you might need to borrow your confidence because borrow confidence with somebody else is what I mean, because the first time that you go do something, you haven't done it before. No matter how much you practice, you haven't been in a live game situation before. So what do you do in that situation? You haven't been, you haven't seen it yet. And the example that I use in uh, that TED talk that you're referring to is called 
how to build, how to be confident when you're not. And because there's another one I have called too much confidence is not your problem. So I kind of talk about it from both ends of the spectrum <laughs> and, and how to build confidence. When I tell the story about this uh, high school player, it wasn't me. His name was Tucker and he was a mediocre player, maybe the 10th best player on a 12 person team. And one day the coach comes in and says, they were going to do an experiment. And the experiment is each one of you is going to be assigned to pretend to be one of your teammates all day in practice. So you are going to pretend to be him. You're going to be him. You're going to be him. He goes down on it, gives each player an assignment of who they're going to pretend to be all day. Now, Tucker, he's the, like I said, marginal player. He's a guy sometimes doesn't even get in the games. But today, randomly, he gets assigned to be his teammate, Mike. Now, Mike just happens to be the best player on the basketball team. Future D1 player, leading scorer, you no know, scholarship to college. Now, Tucker's job, again, is to pretend to be the best player on the team, even though he's only the 10th best player skill-wise. But that's his assignment. His coach told him to do it. So, Sonia, let me ask you, how do you think he performed in practice that day? Oh, he probably was played way, way above his level. Yeah, he says that that day he played better than he ever played in his life. And he never played that well again after that. But that day... He played, he was making shots that he never makes. He was doing moves that he never does. His teammates were looking at him slack jawed, like, man, where is this coming from? Because they never saw him do this before. And his coach, after practice, says, listen, man, if that's what it takes, you need to pretend to be Mike every day and forever. And what he had tapped into is what I call the super you. And the super you is you still being yourself, but is you at your highest possible level of confidence. So this is not fake it till you make it. There's no faking because when you're playing basketball and you shoot the ball and it goes in the basket, you're not faking it. When you do a move, you're not pretending to do the move. The move, you actually did the move. When you score points, is actually two points go up on the scoreboard. So the super you is about you just tapping into that highest level of confidence. The most important thing, of course, the discipline, doing the work ahead of time, if there is any, it's removing yourself of the fear of failure or the fear of trying something that maybe you haven't tried before, but also and here's the crux of it that most people never talk about, even when they talk about confidence. It's, Sonia, it's giving yourself permission to no longer conform to being who you've always been. And that's really what Tucker was doing that day is that he was known as the 10th best player on the team. He was known as this guy who's mediocre on his best day. He knew that and he knew that his teammates knew that. And usually what we do in life, we go through all of our lives conforming to what we think everyone else expects of us. And even when we improve, we only make slight marginal improvements so that we don't get so far away from what other people expect. It makes them and us uncomfortable because if we get too far away from who we've always been, it might make other people uncomfortable. They might say things to us. They might think things about us. They might try to do something to pull us back. Usually it's not other people, though. Usually it's us and we use other people as an excuse and we hold ourselves back. We pull ourselves back from being something that we could be. So the confidence that I talk about building that confidence is just giving yourself license and permission to step out of what everybody else wants and expects from you and just stepping into the person that you want to be. And that's where the confidence comes from. And sometimes it only takes just a small amount. I mean, a small period of time with a small amount of confidence. And then when you do the thing, you get enough momentum in that 30 seconds. Or like I told you at the exposure camp, I got the ball and did that move. That whole thing took all of three seconds, but that little three seconds of momentum gave me what I needed for the rest of the weekend. So sometimes it's just a little bit that you need. And when you see that it works, you're like, okay, now you have created a whole new reality for yourself. And it only took you a couple of seconds of courage and a couple of seconds of stepping outside of what you were used to. And now you got a whole new 
world that you opened up for yourself. Yeah, momentum is such a powerful thing. Like in my in my career, like I'm a professional mountain biker, but I also have to, you know, write proposals and negotiate and do all these things. And when you have lots of rejections, and you mentioned with your agent, you know, you ha or you're looking for an agent, you put out, would you say, sixty applicant or applications, and one of them took you. Like that's a lot of rejections. Mm -hmm. But once you get that one yes, the momentum that you can carry from that one yes can really make a difference in how you carry yourself what you believe that you're capable of and the things that you say moving forward. So it's really like tapping into that one small win, even if you had a hundred failures leading up to it and knowing optimism is knowing that there's going to be a win coming if you just keep pushing. That's right. And that momentum, yeah, the momentum is everything. It's, it's the law of inertia. When you're already moving, you'll keep moving. If you're not moving, you'll keep standing. Yeah, and something else that you said that I really liked, it's it basically that we build our own glass ceilings. Um, I have a sticker. It's like basically it's a part that you stick on your bike and it says limits live in our minds because just like what you said, you believe that you're capable of something or maybe you put these limits on yourself because you've never seen yourself perform at a level before. But right. that that hinders future growth. And I love that your example of, hey, like pretend pretend that you're playing like somebody else. Like it creates distance from the person that you're projecting yourself to be and the inspiration that you see from somebody else. And that comes back to that initial um, thing that you said earlier is like, hey, if you wanna be you know, something or you wanna try something, emulate somebody that's doing it better than you. And that's exactly that example that you gave is Tucker emulated Mike and then he found out that, hey, like I do have this in me and I was just holding myself back. That's right. and. It just requires us again, like you, like you just said, and as I even told in that story, it requires you to just give yourself permission All right, just for this moment here. Let me just step out of being me. I'm still me, but let me step out of the box that I've been living in and let me step into this box and let's just see how it goes. And if it goes well, hopefully you can draw, connect the dots that, you know what, I can just stay here. You don't even have to go back if you don't want to. You can just stay there. And this is who you are being as a person. Again, you're not faking it. This is who you're being. And when your being changes, your actions automatically change. And when your actions change, your results change. And like, we, so we talked about confidence, but grit is staying in it whenever you're getting all those rejections, when you got all those no's from all of those agents. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what advice do you have for people who are like, well, like I'm grinding, I'm grinding. So it's been like five years of grinding and I'm still not getting where I want to get. How, how do I know that I should keep going? Great question. I give people a, a simple three-part framework in that type of situation when you're trying to figure out, all right, should I quit or should I keep going? Because you're not getting the results yet because we know that in life, most of us, things don't just automatically pop off and be great from the very beginning. We have to put a little bit of time in to get the momentum going. So how do you know if you're in that building up to something great period or if you're just wasting your time? The first thing is, do you still have a vision? This is the most important thing. As we talked about, you know, what do you want? Why do you want it? Do you still have that idea in your mind? Do you still want this outcome, the thing that you've been working towards? Do you still want it? And can you still see yourself having it? As long as you can still see that vision, you should keep going. Because when I was in high school, not even making a high school basketball team, and the third time I didn't make it, I was starting to re try to reconstruct in my mind, well, who else can I be as a person? Because I thought I was going to be a basketball player, but I kept getting all these failures. Well, maybe it's something else. Maybe I'll be, you know, who knows? And I tried to come up with other visions for myself. Now, this is at you know, 16, but every vision that I kept coming back to was still basketball. So I figured, all right, I don't know why I keep getting this basketball vision. The reality has just told me the answer is no. But let me try it again. 
And that's why I kept playing. And then eventually it started to work out the next year and beyond. So the number one thing is, can you still see the vision? Number two thing is when you have those long days and you have those tough days and things are not quite working out, do you still feel driven to come back and try again? It's kind of like in a boxing match when a guy is getting, he keeps getting knocked down to the canvas in a boxing match. When you get knocked down in boxing, you have to, you stand up, the referee counts to eight, and then they they walk up to you, they look you in your eyes, they grab your hands, and they they try to get a feel like, all right, do you still want to fight? They don't ask them, but they kind of look at them and figure, all right, does this person still have fighting in their eyes? Yes or no? If the answer is no, then the fight's over, right? But it looks like they still want to fight and they're coming forward. Then the referee says, okay, let's go. Let's do it again. So do you still have the fight in you when you get knocked down to the canvas? If you don't, you get knocked down and you just later, okay, the fight's over. You go do something else. But if you keep getting up and you want to keep getting up and come back, it's like when I was playing sports, I would have a long day, you know, practicing or have a bad day playing pickup at the local recreation or the coach, you know, yells at you and embarrasses you in front of the whole team because you kept messing up in the game. Do you come back the next day? Are, are you willing to still come back the next day? Do you show up and go just as hard or harder or do you retreat into a shell? That's the second question. Are you still willing to keep trying even though you got knocked down? And the third one is, do you have something in you or something with you that really gives you an edge? And that can be an edge against the competition, an edge with yourself, something about you that when you do make this thing work, is going to put you in an advantageous position. So when I was, for example, before I played basketball, I played a little bit of baseball, but I wasn't good at baseball. So when I have a bad game in baseball and I'm striking out, I would I could ask myself this question. I couldn't ask it back then, but I, excuse me, I can ask it now. Uh, do I have any type of edge that really makes me good at baseball? I didn't have anything. I wasn't that good at hitting, fielding, throwing, catching, nothing. So there was nothing about baseball that gave me an advantage. But in basketball, I felt like I had something. I felt like, all right, I know I come to the courts and I practice more often than everybody else around here. I'm a little bit taller. I have the athleticism. Sometimes I do something even by accident that's like, wow, that was I even impressed myself. I knew I had the I knew I had something. I knew I had some elements of possible future success within me. I never had those moments in baseball, but I had those moments in basketball, which is why I kept playing. So three things. Number one, you still see the vision. Number two, do you keep getting up when you get knocked down? Number three. Do you have anything within you, any type of edge that gives you an advantage over the competition that once you learn to harness it will actually help you be one of the best? Yeah. And it also seems like you really have to love the work for the sake of the work itself, because you might not get the, an outcome or a result for a really, really long time. But if you love showing up, you love practicing, even if you're getting knocked down, even if it's not working out for you, like it seems like that would really help with grit. Oh, absolutely. Is loving the work because that's that's kind of where you develop the grit is showing up every day and doing the work, showing up every day and practicing, turning the mic on and recording, turning open up you no know, Google Docs and MS Word and writing. That's the grit right there. And the more of that, the more of that time that you've put in on the back end, the more you're you're basically making deposits into your confidence bank account, is what I like to say. Every time you show up and you do the extra work and you've earned the right to feel confident about yourself and it makes it that much easier to keep going when you're getting knocked down because you know about the work that you're doing in the background. So I'm 100% agree with that. There's a, a podcast episode that I recorded. It was a solo episode where I just sort of talked about my evolution and how I repeatedly had to choose myself. I w there was nobody that was telling me like, hey, you're worthy of this. 
I just would choose myself and go for it repeatedly. And and mm. you've really done that a lot. Like you, your story in basketball, you know, you chose yourself, like I'm, I'm going to go for it. And it also sounds like you have chosen yourself as an entrepreneur, like, Hey, like I'm going to, uh, I don't, I'll let you tell your story with that and not take it away from you, but you've really chosen your path there. So like, how did you choose to become an entrepreneur and continue to keep choosing yourself and believe in yourself instead of somebody else saying, Hey, you should do this. Wow. He asked some, some deep questions with long answers. So <laughs> I'll tell you. Yes. Uh, we got the time. <laughs> all right. So uh, when it comes to entrepreneurship, um, growing up, all the adults around me were, they, their full-time gigs were normal, normal jobs. They were normal employees. And I knew there were some people around me who would do some entrepreneurial stuff, I guess what some people might call self-employed, but they never, they didn't do it most of the time as their full-time thing and, or, and let me say, they never, nobody ever sat me down and explained, Hey, this is what I do when I'm you know, an employee with a job. This is what I do when I'm an entrepreneur. Here's the difference. Here's how it works. Here's the things you can do. No one ever explained that to me. And uh, believe it or not, Sonia, you have a four-year business degree from Penn State. They didn't explain it to me. But <laughs> I read this book in 2001 uh, called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And when I read that book, I, just the first chapter of the book, and he's just explaining that in just one chapter, 30 pages, he explains the difference between having a job and being a, a business owner. And I said, okay, now I understand. Here's what the other people are doing. All right, I see what the people I knew were doing. Here's what everybody else is doing. All right, now I understand a concept. Now I read the rest of the book, of course, but I, nobody had ever explained the concept. I'm in college with a, a course load of business classes. And the only person that taught it to me was Robert Kiyosaki in a book that I bought for 99 cents on eBay. So that's where I got my first entrepreneurial uh, information. And then I went to somebody had brought me to a network marketing meeting and they were talking about this concept called personal development. And that's the first time I heard of that. And they're, they're name dropping these people, Napoleon Hill, Ryan Tracy, Jim Rohn, uh, Zig Ziglar, Tony Robbins, these people I'd never heard of before, Robert Kiyosaki. And I started looking up these people's books and I went and bought Think and Grow Rich and Robert Kiyosaki on, again, eBay for 99 cents. And people were emailing me Word document attachments. That's how it was back then. And that's how I got introduced to these things. So when I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, I'm still in college at this point, and I know that I'm going to play basketball after college. I didn't know how, but I knew I wanted to. So I said, after basketball, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get into entrepreneurship. I'm going to do something where I can create a thing and I can make money from it, but I don't always have to do all the work every single time over and over again. That's what I'm going to do. So I went and played basketball, and this was about halfway into my career, about five years in, around 2009, around the same time that I made the work on your game freeze. I was I didn't have a job playing ball because I told you I, it came from Germany. I was in Miami, but the season was still going. So I was a free agent at that time without a job. And I asked myself a really important question, because at this time, let me back up again. I just finished reading this book called The Four Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. <laughs> and I was I had been immersing myself in Tim's stuff. And he wrote either on his blog or in his book somewhere. He was just talking about how you can test out the viability of a product because I'm thinking to myself, all right, I need a way that I can take control of my life. So I asked myself this question. How can I do something that I love doing, play basketball, where I also can combine it with somewhere that I have a little bit of a, an edge over other people, which was being on the Internet? Because as you mentioned in the intro, I'm kind of a nerd. I'm a computer geek and I can make money. How can I do all three at the same time? Basketball, Internet, money. 
Now, today, in 2021, it sounds like a pretty simple, simple thing to figure out. But in 2009, it wasn't so simple. It wasn't so easy. And there weren't so many examples. So I got the idea from something I read. Maybe it was Tim, someone else. You can make your own products. You can sell them on the Internet and make money. So I went and followed what Tim said. I made this one page website that said, All right, I'm going to give you a dribbling program. Here's a program to teach you how to dribble the basketball. And I'll give you another one to teach you how to shoot the basketball. And I didn't even create the products. All I did was just put the here's the name of the product It's going to cost four dollars and ninety nine cents Four ninety nine. I just created a name, put up a little picture, said what it's going to give you. And I put a button that said, all right, it's four ninety nine. If you want to buy it, click this button. And when someone clicked the button, it would take them to a blank page that said, hey, this product is under construction. But if you really want it, just put your email address in this box. And when it's ready, I'll email you. And people were putting your email address in that box. And I, this was like $5 worth of Google ads. Now, you can't get those kind of results of $5 of Google ads now, but you could 12 years ago. So I did, and I was getting email results from random people who didn't know me. So I said, all right, I'm going to go make the program. So I made the program. This is like a seven-day dribbling program, PDF. I just used videos I had already made from YouTube. I just described the name of the drill. I described how to do it, how many times to do it. And I put them together in a seven-day PDF. And that's what I started selling. And it literally was $4.99. So I remember the first day that I put that out, I made a little video on YouTube, put it out and say, hey, here's my new program, my new product. Here's where you can get it. And people were actually buying it. So Sonia, I remember I got this first email. I had a BlackBerry phone at the time. Did you have a BlackBerry back in the day? No, I w my first smartphone was iPhone 3. So I was a little bit late to the party there. Okay. Yeah, I had the, I had the BlackBerry until like, I think I had the BlackBerry until maybe 2011. I, don't, I, think, I didn't even get to the iPhone until later. But anyway, the BlackBerry, when you got an email, you would get this little red light would start blinking. So I saw the red light. I look at it and I got an email to say, congrats, you made a sale. And it was so primitive the way I had it set up at the time, Sonia, that when somebody bought something from me, I had to get on my computer, email them and put the attachment in the email and send it to them. I didn't even know what auto delivery was. I didn't even have it set up. But after about a week of sending a whole bunch of email attachments, I set up auto delivery. So somebody bought, they got the program immediately. But when that happened, I remember when I made that first sale, it was only $5. But I said to myself, I could do this for the rest of my life. I'm not going to be able to play basketball forever. I won't always be able to dunk, dunk on somebody, but I can always trade on my intellectual property. I can always use my brain. So I knew that that was my future, even though I still played five more years of pro basketball. But the good thing about it happening the way that it did and at the time that it did, Sonia, was that I could start laying the foundation and building a runway for my entrepreneurial life, my full-time entrepreneurial life while I was still playing ball. Because what happens with a lot of athletes, and maybe you've seen this, is that when we stop playing our sport, especially, I mean, if you're doing it full-time, when we stop playing our sport, a lot of times we don't know what to do next. Like you wake up the day after you stop and you're like, all right, now who am I? All right, what do I do? But I already had that in place. So when I stopped playing ball, all I had to do was just take the, that part of what I was doing, which was the, the entrepreneurial stuff. And now I could give more time to it because now I, I wasn't going to the gym as much. I still go to the gym, but not three times a day, you know, like I used to. So <laughs> now I had more space to put into the entrepreneurship. So that's how I got started. Yeah, it's super hard to do those things in parallel. Like if you're trying to be or if you are a professional athlete and then you're also building a business on the side, like it takes an, a lot of focus and energy to do that. Mm -hmm. And you got to have the I mean, it's a full time job to really build the business is a full time yeah. job. So I was able to do you know, some part time stuff and sell stuff and you know, have some money coming in. But 
I couldn't build a real business until I was giving it full-time energy. So something that I thought was interesting is that your initial products were about basketball, how to get better at basketball, but you've evolved over time. And now it's like, how do you work on your mental game? How do you feel more confident? How do you have more discipline? Mm -hmm. So how did you start that transition process of, oh, like, I don't only have to be talking about dribbling or shooting or, you know, all these things that are skills inherent to basketball. I want to talk about skills inherent to life. So how did you make that transition? Great question. So around that same time period, around 2008 through 2010, this is when all this stuff was happening. So now, as I told you, that's when I first said work on your game in a, a video. And even people who didn't play basketball saw that video and they were saying, well, I know I don't play basketball, but I like your message. I like what you're saying. That's a good point. So around that time period, players have been starting to ask me more about mindset because after that video and you know, me just kind of talking a little bit more in some of my videos, because at first my video would just be me on the court doing stuff. But then I would talk a little bit sometimes in some videos, just explaining my, my story and my journey and my philosophy and stuff like that. And players said, man, you, you sound like a philosopher, like you sound like a college professor who happens to be a basketball player. And they would say, man, you should be a, a coach or you should be a, like a basketball coach or you should be like a, a professional speaker. If you weren't a basketball player, you could do that. They just liked the way that I would articulate and make my points. So I decided one day that every week I would put out this video called the weekly motivation. So every Monday I would put out maybe a two, three minute little selfie video before selfie videos were a thing. And I would just be talking to the camera, just giving people some type of mindset material every week. So I did the weekly motivation. And the first one I put out, I said, I'll keep doing this if y'all are interested. And people say, yeah, we're interested. Keep going. So I did that weekly motivation for about 400, three, 400 weeks in a row. Every Monday, I put wow. that video out. And those videos became the foundation for everything that I do now. Because when I started putting out those messages, again, they weren't about basketball. I knew, my, I knew who my audience was. But I didn't make the message specifically about basketball. I was really just talking about you know, mental stuff that applied to basketball, but it also happened to apply to life. So people who didn't even play ball will start seeing these videos because in the video, I'm not on the basketball court. I'm in my car. I'm at home. So if you just came across just that video, you wouldn't even know I was a basketball player. You might just think this is just some guy. So people who didn't play ball started finding me and they would say, look. I follow you on YouTube, but I didn't even know you were a basketball player. I just saw the weekly motivation. I liked it. I just watched those. I just watched that video every Monday. Everything else you put out, I don't watch. But that Monday video, I watched it. So that told me, okay, so this stuff that I'm talking about, this mindset stuff, even people who don't play basketball need this. So this, this is another light bulb moment for me. Okay, when I'm done playing ball, because I realized that the thing that made me so popular with basketball players was that I was on the basketball court every day playing basketball. So I could still talk about basketball to this day if I wanted to. The problem is I'm not so popular with the current basketball players because I'm not on the court anymore. Like It's a whole different thing when you don't play anymore because they don't look at you the same way. Right. So being that I, I knew at some point I was going to stop playing because I'm not I don't see myself as a lifer in basketball. I'm not the kind of guy who plays and then you become a coach and then you're a trainer and then you're an analyst. I knew I wanted to do other things that had nothing to do with basketball. So I knew when I started doing that, the basketball players, I just wouldn't be visible to them. I wouldn't be as discoverable because I'm not talking about it every day. So when I was doing a weekly motivation and I started hearing from people who were non-athletes, I said, all right, when I get out of basketball, I can go and talk to people who don't even play at all. And that's 
what I did. That's exactly how it happened. So when I started, I started writing books while I was still playing. I wrote my first book was just about my basketball story. And I wrote another book about how to play basketball overseas. But then I wrote books on discipline, confidence, mental toughness, personal initiative. And of course, I sourced information from those books and experiences from my basketball life. But the books are not about basketball. And you don't have to be a basketball player to read them. I've I, I bet I've sold more books to non-athletes than I have to athletes over the years, even those early books. So that's how it, it kind of transitioned from just the basketball guy to the work on your game guy. And basketball just happens to be one of the games. Yeah, and it really sounds like a big part of your game now is writing because you've written 29 books. And that takes an incredible amount of all the principles that you live by, consistency, discipline, confidence, vision. Right. So what's your favorite book right now? Of mine, my favorite book. Yeah, or, or that you've written. <laughs> yeah, my favorite book that I've written is probably my book, The Third Day, which you can see kind of in the middle there, that red one. I have it sitting right here as well. Uh -huh. This is my newest book. So this one is The Decision That Separates the Pros from the Amateurs. And it's all about you know, what makes you show up every single day and deliver even when you least feel like it. So this is probably my favorite right now because this is the one that I talk about the most. What's your process for outlining you know, the chapters of these books, because you have so many different ideas and I'm sure there's overlap, but each book is unique. So what's your process with that? Man, well, when I decide that I'm going to write a book, usually I'm is marinating in my mind for a long time before I decide I, I'm going to actually put my fingers on the keyboard and start writing things out. So what I do is I just brain dump. I just take all the like the high level ideas that I want to put in the book, which will basically become the chapters. I just lay down what all of them are going to be. What's everything that I want to say about this subject? And I write down all of those, the, what will eventually become the chapter headings for the most part. And then when I'm ready to actually do the writing, I just go in you know, Google Docs and I just space out each one of those chapter headings. I put a page break in between each one and then I just start writing everything that I have to say, everything that I want to say about those subjects. And if I need a little bit of help, then what I'll do is I'll go to my the list of episodes I put out on my shows or I go to my YouTube channel and look up and I type in my name and type in a certain subject. See, what did I say about that? Just to make sure I didn't forget anything. And then that's how I source things out. So I don't I don't do like a, a traditional neat outline type thing. I just mm -hmm. brain dump every the high level stuff. Then I just fill it in and then I go back through it and just try to remember what did I miss? Because I've shared so many things over the last uh, 16 years that I know I'm leaving something out. So I try to make sure I go through it enough that I can you know, remember the stuff that I might have forgot to say. Yeah, and it sounds like with your podcast and your YouTube channel, like your books write themselves because you visit these topics, you talk about them. Then the book is just another form of putting that, you know, in a package where people can hear it, read it, see it. And yeah, you've done so many. Yeah, absolutely. So you're 100 percent right, because by the time I sit down to write a book, I've already said it exactly the way that it needs to be said. So the goal is to just capture it in written word the same way that I did when I spoke it. So that's the challenge. <laughs> yeah. So where can people find all these books? Wow. Well, I want to give people too many things because they might get confused. So I'll tell you where you can get this book. You can get this one for free. Right. I actually get this book away for free, the paperback version. All I ask is that you cover the shipping, but I've already paid for your book. So I don't know if this is going to be on video, Sonia. I'll be on audio. Okay. So, well, Sonia, you can see, you see all those red books on that shelf behind me? I see lots of, lots of beautiful red books. Yes. Yeah, so that's this book right here. So I, uh -huh. I don't need to read those books. I already wrote it. So I want to give those away for free. 
All you need to do is cover the shipping and that's too deep. So the ones you see in the front is more in the back. You can get those, get the book for free. Just cover the shipping by going to thirddaybook.com. That's spelled out thirddaybook.com. The book's free. As I said, you just cover the shipping. Uh, on social media, the place that I'm probably the most active consistently, well, most active throughout the day is Instagram, but I'm actually active on every platform. Instagram, tick, not, TikTok, I don't use that often, but uh, Facebook, Twitter, <laughs> YouTube, LinkedIn, I'm on everything. I write articles three, four or five times a week. So if you, when you get my book, you'll be on my email list. So you'll see how much I write. And hopefully it's not too much for you. And I will give anyone who is listening to this, just listeners of this show only, I'll give anyone a free uh, 30 minute Zoom call. Anyone who wants to hop on a call with me and talk about anything around these mindset topics that we've been talking about. If they just go to work on your game, university.com slash Sonia, your name, work on your game, university.com slash Sonia. All right. We will link that up in the show notes. Perfect. Well, th thank you for coming on the show and sharing your journey and all the nuggets of wisdom along the way. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing your platform. I appreciate the opportunity. I hope you enjoyed that podcast episode today. I love, love, love all of these topics. If there's a guest that you are interested in hearing from, I'm starting to do some planning for 2022 and beyond with the show. So go ahead and send me a message. You can go to my website, sonyalooney.com, or you can go on Instagram where I look at every single message that you send me. I'm so grateful that you guys are here and that you're listening to this podcast. I know there are tons and tons of options out there, and it's so awesome to get to see that this is bringing you value and helping you be better every day. And that's our mission. And I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. See you next week.